I know. So Switch. how time flies. What's that? I'm I'm really sad. Well, it was the was it GQ or Vanity Fair? Uh, I think Vanity Fair. Some, one of yeah, yeah. They did a photo shoot. Remember, remember the mummy. Let's go. Let's go back to 2018 or set whatever. Yeah. Uh, Tom Cruise was in the movie The Mummy, and then it was going to be Javier Bardem as Frankenstein's monster. We've got Johnny Depp as the Invisible Man, Russell Crowe as Doctor Jekyll slash Mister Hyde. Yeah. And then there's another one, right? Uh, well, the, then the mummy, the mummy herself. What is her name? Sophia. Yes. Uh, oh, I feel bad. I can't remember her name, but yes, she was in that shoot as well. I think. I, wasn't somebody uh, there as the there bride not... of Frankenstein too? Was there a bride? Uh, maybe I was thinking that there was, was there a like Eva Green? creature from the Black Lagoon. No, that one was not touched. Maybe. I think. I think that one was kind of in dicey mm. territory, honestly, because of Guillermo del Toro. Shape uh, of water. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was the failed attempt for another cinematic universe, a dark universe, if you will, full of monsters. Because MonsterVerse was already taken by Godzilla. So true. <laughs> And they had already tried to start it with the Dracula Untold. Yeah, with Luke and then Evans. when that bombed, they were like, "Oh, we'll we'll do something more modern." And then nothing came of it. Have you seen these pictures of this uh, like live action Winnie the Pooh shit? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that more live action Winnie is, the Pooh. It's uh, it's scary as shit looking. Oh man. Because I would just, they already did, because they did that, I mean, it was also... They, they did Christopher Robin. Yeah. yeah. No, this yeah, is not that. This is scary not in some that. Way. <laughs> Live action Winnie the Pooh. It's like, it's something about like blood and honey or some shit. Oh. That sounds awesome. That's what we should write. We should, me and Greg, we should write a Winnie the Pooh horror movie. Oh, I, That's I mean, what it's... this is, I think. It's just going to be yeah. like a retelling of Grizzly Man, but with like this, uh, you know, this young boy trapped think- in a wood, in the woods full of creatures. Yeah, I was thinking like an Evil Dead esque. Like we we take all of these characters into a cabin, and then things happen. Kale, I think I found it. Hold it's on, called gonna... Blood and Honey. When yeah. you the Blood and Honey, and it's so oh my scary. god! I'm gonna paste. A, I'm gonna post a picture for Murph to see. <laughs> insane <laughs> oh my god that is disturbing oh my god kill way more than it should be thank you for bringing this to my attention this is amazing i can't wait to cover it on this here podcast oh yeah 100 percent. that's right because we are doing a podcast welcome to the weekly podcast massacre uh, we cover horror movies with a new theme every month. This month we are in the uh, beginning of Gemini June. So I am your dreadful host for the day. My name is Murphy from Portland, but everyone calls me Michael. <laughs> and with me today... Hmm, that was a little suspicious. Hi, I'm Gerg. Oh, wait a minute. Hmm, something is totally off here. From Los Angeles. Hello, everybody. Hmm. I'm just I'm regular kill. <laughs> I I don't know what you mean by regular, but okay. Uh, so this week we are going to be talking about uh, our fourth Stephen King movie. Can you guys believe it? I we know. made it to four Stephen King movies. Yeah, I started this up without knowing it was Stephen King too. So imagine my surprise when oh, it's really? crawled across the screen. 
Yeah, weirdly, I I have been diving deep into King this whole past past few months too. I've like listened to a ton of audiobooks of his. I caught up on Christine. I listened to uh like uh what was it? A bunch of the short stories. I I I finally read Carrie. I have been going deep on King, and somehow this one slipped by me. This one, yeah. So this is uh, we're covering the dark half, going with our doppelganger twin theme. Um, so it was originally written by Stephen King. Who? And when was that book? It was a 1989 novel. And then in 1993, George A. Romero decided, hey, I'm going to write this for the screen and direct it myself. Yeah. It was now, actually shot in 91, as... but it wasn't released in 93 because the studio uh, was having okay. some financial problems. That makes sense because it was Orion who was not really that big, I feel, until Silence of the Lambs. They had some good releases. Was they did like Bill and Ted push. before this, I believe, right? That's I always associate Bill and Ted with the Orion opening. So I, I, I yeah, yeah, I'm always Silence of the Lambs is the one I always think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so 1993, uh, it stars Timothy Hutton as Thad Beaumont as well as George Stark. Uh, we have Amy Madigan as Liz Beaumont, and then uh, a personal favorite, Michael Rooker, as Sheriff Alan Pangborn of Castle County? Castle Rock. Castle Rock. Yeah, Stephen King's... The, the city yeah, town. Stephen King's, like, fictional town. He sets a lot of shit in. Yes. It's also where yes. uh, uh, the Dead Zone takes place, as well as a bunch of other stuff. Sure, yeah. yeah. I uh, have not read this book, but I did read Needful Things and watch the movie, Ooh. which is uh, takes place in Castle Rock. Also stars Alan Pangborn. He's kind oh. of the main character of it. Interesting. I'm going to get this fascinating thing out of the way. Okay, both of these come out in 1993. So you have two Alan Pangborn movies. Do they have the same actor? No, they do not. Oh. Needful Things contains Ed Harris... Who, in fact, is married to Amy Madigan. Wow. And did you know this, that his first starring role was in a George Romero movie, Ed Harris? Mm. Yeah. That's the other cool thing about this all pick, is that, like, literally a week before you said we were going to watch this, um, have you guys ever heard of the George Romero movie Night Riders, which is the movie that Ed Harris stars in? I've heard no. of it. Night Riders is insane. Uh, I, I watched it recently and I absolutely loved it. It is a two and a half hour drama by George Romero about a traveling Renaissance fair where Ed Harris is the king and he has all of his knights ride around and do jousts on the backs of, of motorcycles. So it is filled to, to the brim with motorcycle stunts, insane motorcycle stunts, and lots and lots of drama, crying, like, you know, like very interesting touching portrayals of like gay characters there's lots of sex and nudity like lots of ed harris freaking out and yelling like a fucking maniac uh it is a great movie i loved night riders uh the dark half though <laughs> we'll talk about yeah. that yeah we'll get into it so i'll just say right off the bat like the first 25 minutes maybe of this movie i'm like all right i'm I'm digging it. I think it's it's doing an early 90s thriller mystery very well. And I think it's basically as soon as they introduce the antagonist, I'm like, brr. Yeah. Have you guys it, seen this it before? It really drops. I had not. No, this is new to me too. Yeah. 
I had seen it before, but I did not remember that I had seen it until, um, like, Timothy Hutton came on and then his wife walked in. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I have seen this. <laughs> it's not super memorable. Yeah, um, it's interesting. I feel like this is one where, like, yeah. I... Uh, I was all in on the opening credits. I mean, like, you know, Michael Rooker, uh, Stephen King, George Romero. Like, I was like, yeah, this is going to be my shit. And I was still riding high from watching Knight Riders. But yeah, it kind of let me down. Um, but I do think if you think about it in retrospect, I'm like, it's 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 kind of interesting as a Stephen King story. And then I think it's a little interesting as a George Romero story. Uh, I wanted to ask what you guys uh, feel about George Romero. Because I know he's a little bit like, some people think he's kind of overrated. Some people think that he, you know, he lost his touch after all his zombie movies and everything outside of that is kind of like, you know, whatever. Oh, no, no, no. He lost his touch during the zombie movies. Do you not remember Diary of oh, the Dead that's, or Land yeah. of the I, Dead? <laughs> I, I do okay. always forget this. Land is fine. Land was actually the first Romero movie I saw, and I still have a little bit of nostalgia for it. I think it's got some really good moments and really good ideas, but I did is not... That, that's the one with the the black zombie and overalls yeah like big daddy learning yeah no yeah. that's that's bad no. and the guy that uh gets his own dick stuffed in his mouth sorry to jump ahead is uh he's a main character in land of the dead too ah uh, okay <laughs> yeah um i'm fine with uh night of the living dead it's you know classic i really love dawn and i think day is probably his masterpiece oh yes yeah, i agree uh but i I have not really seen any of the other non-zombie movies. This was probably the first non-zombie Romero movie I've seen. Gotcha. At some point, we'll talk about Monkey Shines. That's a batshit movie that deserves to be talked about. Um, but Kale, how about you? How, how, what are your feelings on Romero? He's fine. I also, um, Nine of the Living Dead, I, I really like that movie. Um, and dawn of the dead is also pretty good i like the remake i think we we may have watched that together relatively recently um but i i actually like the remake better just because it's more action-packed and i know i i'm not all like super into action movies but that to me is is more of an action movie it's like super intense and there's humor in it and yeah um i have like that that was the movie that kind of made me realize that i was into horror I've said this yeah. before, like, I didn't really know, even though I was very obviously always in it. But, um, like, The Crazies is another one that I, the original, I like the remake. I think the remake with Timothy Oliphant is way better than the original The Crazies. Yeah. That um, seems to be I really like enjoyed The Amusement Park. That I, The Amusement Park might be my favorite of his, even though it was released recently, but it's... That is really cool, Yeah. Yeah. That is really cool, and I will say, I'm, I'm going to shut up about Knight Riders in a moment, but the, the Knight Riders feels a lot like the amusement park at times. It's not a horror movie, Ooh. but there are lots of just long shots of just, like, people ambling around, like, a themed <laughs> entertainment area, and it is like, oh, man, this guy, like, had a real kind of a negative view of, like, the people who would go to themed events and, like, watch this kind of stuff. It's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, so this movie is kind of interesting in that regard. We we have, uh, of course, it's Doppelganger, and it is concerning Thad Beaumont, who had an alias, a pseudonym, much like Stephen King. And this kind of follows the, the life of Stephen King to a bit. There was Richard Bachman and Stephen King, and they were similar, you know, dark stories, but Bachman always went a bit darker. Yeah. 
And uh, eventually this came out and he killed Richard Bachman, started writing pretty much under Stephen King. I think there was uh, one more novel that Richard Bachman wrote, which was like uh, Desperation. Uh, it's The Regulators, I or think. Or The Other one. It's The Regulators. Yeah. Which, and both of those are like twin novels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they tie into his like crazy mythology in a big way. Yeah, yes. he kind of like turns Bachman into like a, like a character almost. Yeah. Yes, yes. And Stephen King is a character in his own yes. universe <laughs> as well. So I like that Stephen King said that it was part autobiographical. And I like to think that it's very, very close to what happened with Richard Bachman. There's like literally an evil Southern Stephen King out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting because this was uh, still during his substance abuse phase. He had a long line where he was drinking, doing a bunch of cocaine. And this book was written during that time. He was still drinking, doing drugs. It was his and last one, And they get one, into right? it a little bit. I, I'm not sure. I know Needful Things was his first one sober. Mm. And that was written in 91. So I'm not sure if there was anything between those two. Mis- I think this is supposed to be his last. Yeah. His yeah. last before going sober. Yeah, we talked about it with Misery, but Misery is also a lot about addiction. And I think him starting True. to overcome it i don't remember quite when that came out but yeah this he's this is like all of his writing in some way is sort of about that around this period mm-hmm. uh but to get kind of more into the plot we have as i said thad beaumont who when he's young he wants to be a writer he's getting all these bad headaches and he's hearing sparrows to the point where they eventually he collapses on the front lawn and they're like oh let's do brain surgery and it turns out he had a twin in the womb who he absorbed apparently most of that happens to most of us uh but in this one a nurse starts freaking out because as they crack open his skull there is an eyeball inside his brain so so cool and this and the the doctor or the other nurse chastises the one nurse and i'm like have you seen anything like that ever? <laughs> Come on. There's an eyeball that, that looks around at them. Yeah. Like, I've <laughs> talked about my dad being in the healthcare field before, and I used to visit him a lot at work. And um, it, most most of the time, you're, like, interested in it. There wasn't, not that I was there all the time, but there were even, like, the gross stuff. Everybody was, like, oh, everybody wanted to look at it. If you're a nurse, yeah. I feel like you need to be interested in seeing eyeballs and brains that shouldn't be there not like oh yeah she should have seen worse totally i i yeah yeah, i have a a first day (laughs) i have a close friend who works as in a hospital and has to respond to traumas pretty frequently and they're just like yeah you just like you just do your job you you don't have like the time or like you just can't react that way there's just you know there's too much at stake and you know people are counting on you to do your part in the room so you just can't yeah (laughs) <laughs> however seeing an eyeball open up on a brain i mean that's a little more understandable it's pretty great. yeah 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 uh and so as this surgery is happening there are huge amounts of sparrows spinning around the hospital and then we cut to 23 years later he is married and has twins twins basil twins gasp <laughs> and i want to say this right off the bat has Timothy Hutton always looked like an old man? Yeah, apparently. Because he 
he looks older to me. I looked it up. He is younger than me right now in that movie. <laughs> and he looks like an How old, old man was to he? me. He was like 33. Uh, well, if it was shot... Okay, hold on. If it was shot in 91, even younger, he was probably like 31 when he was making this wow. movie. And I don't I know... I think he looked I, old. Part of it, I think, might be the 90s get-ups that he has. He has a lot of jeans with a, uh, a jean shirt as well. Uh, but there is one scene where he goes to sit down on the couch and he does the old man pull up your pants from the, <laughs> the, the mid-thigh as you're sitting down. And I'm like, come on, that is, that's an old man. The 90s does age everybody. I feel like most people, even being a child in the 90s, I'm pretty sure I look younger now than I did when I was like eight. But <laughs> I I don't I don't know. I don't think that Timothy Hutton seems like looks that old. I don't know. I think he's kind of cute. I think he's a good looking guy. Apparently he's yeah. difficult to work with, according to Romero. Uh, I like and his he, hair. Uh, he quit yeah, great multiple hair, great times. Hair. That is oh, he yeah. quit? Wow. Yeah, he, he quit the film a few times, I guess. Or it's not surprising. Or like, his performance in this does kind of scream to me, like, trying to go really method. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure it was just, like, he was too intense on set. He's playing a pretty fucked up all, character All later. of the George Stark thing. Exactly, like, yeah. Come, yeah, he is, he's is he known really for... going for it. Is he, like, known for being difficult to work with or known for being a jerk or anything? I only really other, uh, know him from one other thing, which is The Haunting on Hill House from a couple of years ago, the, the Netflix series, where I thought he was really good. Um, and in that movie, he comes off, or in that series, he comes off really, like, genuine and sweet. And so, like, I don't know. I mean, I've, I I only read that same fact you did, Kill, where he quit the movie several times and George Romero had <laughs> some trouble with him. That? He's the father. The Haunting he's of Hill like House? The, yeah. The older, he's yeah, like the older the, version of the... Dad. The older version of the father, yeah. Henry Thomas uh, is the younger uh, one. Yep. He was also yeah, in another yeah, Stephen King adaptation. He was in The Secret Window with Johnny Depp. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, yes. I have only seen the ending of that movie where uh, there's a pretty gnarly like moment of gore in that. That's all I've seen as a Secret Window. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant the scary moment when it's... Uh, Johnny Depp eating corn with braces. Oh my god. Yeah, that too. Wait a minute. That's also not a bad pick for a Gemini June movie now that I think about it. Mm. Interesting. Uh, so Thad Beaumont is a writer and a teacher. He's teaching a class on duality. A little on the mm, nose. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, uh, so as class is being dismissed, uh, this guy walks up to him, Fred Clausen, is like, hey, would you sign my book? And hands him a book by George Stark, uh, starring Alexis Machine, which is kind of his ultimate, like, I don't know, uh, John Wayne, Clint Eastwood type of character, like, like a, a real badass. Like a Jack Reacher, yeah. Okay, yeah, a more, I would think more nefarious type of Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher's a good guy. Right, but okay, Greg, I, I, I don't want you to besmirch. <laughs> do not besmirch Jack Reacher's good name on this podcast. I apologize, but yeah, this is the land of the dead guy, Robert Joy. I think he's a such, yeah. he's, such a, he's a great looking character actor. Like, yeah, he he, he looks like a real slime ball. 
True. And he has a great uh, ratty leather jacket that just yes. it nails that character. Um, so he's saying, like, hey, would you sign this book? And Timothy Hutton's like, no, it's not mine. Look, that's picture, everything. It's like, haha, well, I know this is your pseudonym. And is basically trying to blackmail him. Says that he met some lady at a party who works for his publisher. And if you don't, you know, write me a big fat check, I'm going to go to the presses. Uh, and then he kind of walks out. Uh, so they're trying to decide what to do. Eventually, Thad's like, well, and I think it's his wife, uh, Liz, is like, why don't you just, you know, do it yourself? And there's a real funny part where they're changing the, the twins. And Timothy Hutton is, is baby talking what he would do to the guy or what Alexis machine would do to the guy. And it's a baby talking saying like, how he would cut off his pecker and put it in his mouth. Yeah. To his infant <laughs> child. I, I want to say part of what I think what sinks this movie a little bit. Um, this comes from this conversation is from reading a lot of Stephen King recently. He can get so corny. Like Stephen King can be yes. a corny ass writer. This movie, when Romero translates it to the screen, a lot of some adaptations will kind of like change his dialogue a little bit. Um, you know, make it sound a little more natural, like from page to screen. But this dialogue is straight up just like yeah. you can. It's so in the voice of Stephen King, so in the voice of like the way he uses uh, profanity, especially like it is weirdly unrealistic the way Stephen King yeah. does it. You know what I mean? I I've always thought I don't think he's a necessarily a great writer. I think he is a great storyteller. Yeah, you're right. I think his actual prose can get really like corny like i said and then like very i don't know yeah he, I, I would totally agree i think he's got some great story ideas and like themes yeah. and of his books and there's are the really occasional good. line yeah but exactly. then most of the time i'm like okay all right let's get to it but nobody actually talks like a stephen king character <laughs> well we'll get to that in a second but uh so he calls his agents and they're like uh well you know if that's what you want to do uh so and they eventually are like okay well We'll go to the presses. We'll have a magazine writer come down. We'll have a photographer come down. They go to the lake house where he writes all his books. He has a very nice, like, private office that's a, a hidden bookcase to get into his office. Badass. Yeah. Love it. And this, the the lake house is what's located in Castle Rock, right? I felt the Stephen King yeah. vibes, like, right away, because the kid in the very first scene is wearing a Castle Rock shirt, and I was like, wait, is this Stephen <laughs> King? It just had oh, that totally. feel from the beginning that it was Stephen Kingy. Yeah, it's 100%. Right. Like, Castle Rock, like, you see in a few movies. Actually, that's interesting, like, that it's, because Cujo also takes place in Castle Rock, and I found... Stand there's by actually, Me. I believe so. Stand By Me, yeah, uh... And then Cujo and this have a nice, like, visual similarity. A lot of, like, you know, these huge houses like this with these, like, really, uh, <laughs> these people who claim to not be very wealthy but then live in these, like, fucking mansions, you know? Well, that's one of the things. It's like, you know, if we don't do this, then, or if I do this, then, like, we we're losing, like, a very comfortable lifestyle. One, he already had that lake house before the George Stark novels. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure he's a tenured professor. He already had, he's had like multiple best selling books, but like you live in Maine. The cost of living is not that much. All right. You'll be <laughs> yeah, fine. Totally. Uh, but then we have, so we have the writer 
who uh, has ball top but a long ponytail. I don't know. Just you gotta admit it to yourself, man. You're you're bald. I'm sorry. Uh, and then we have a main resident for the photographer, Homer uh, Kamash. Gamash. G- Ganesh. Gamache. Yeah. yeah. Who is constantly saying, I'm going to do it up brown for you. I, my favorite and character in the movie. Yeah. It is <laughs> It is the the best line reading of all time. I, it is. It gets me every. I watched this twice. And he was the shining moment of my second viewing. Yeah. I do love. He goes off in a little monologue around here about how he photographs like teddy bears and coffins oh teddy yes. bears and coffins yes. like you know yeah teddy bears and coffins <laughs> i'm gonna do this up brown for you uh so he eventually comes up with an idea of uh, that he is going to create a fake fake headstone for george stark they put it in the the cemetery in the beaumont family plots and uh they take a picture it also says not a very nice guy on the tombstone <laughs> which is uh, one of those kingian things where i'm like all right i'll give it to you it's really corny but yeah. i like the story that one works yeah there's another similar mm-hmm. epigraph somewhere that doesn't work uh but that one does work uh so this is where you know a little time passes homer's driving away and he picks up a hitchhiker who looks strikingly like thad Although, as he's come, probably the greatest shot of the movie to me is Stark is walking up to the passenger side of the car. And as he kind of gets past the back windshield into that, like, kind of metal part of the truck, he just disappears. And it's just such a wonderful, like, kind of illusion. Homer goes out to look, and then he gets pulled out of the truck. And right, this is the moment where it just starts swan diving to me. It is worse and worse and worse and worse well he doesn't just get pulled out of the truck this is a really nice touch where his prosthetic leg that we didn't know he had until right now (laughs) um gets caught on the door on the window of the truck as it's getting pulled out and gets left behind which is a very very funny detail to this death and but then later on the they say the guy beat him to death with his leg (laughs) so he pulled him out of the truck and then went back and grabbed the leg and then killed him that that's a that's a little bit of a problem with this movie. You don't sometimes they do things like that you don't see, which is a little irritating. You know, like I would have loved to see right. Homer get beat to death with his own leg. I feel this is one that works with just like insinuating, and then you see some of the aftermath later. Yeah, but uh, this is where we meet uh, Michael Rooker's character, Alan Pangborn, who is sheriff of Castle County. He gets called to the cemetery to be like, oh, someone dug a hole where the george stark headstone was and the even the guy at the cemetery is like look there are handprints looks like someone came out of the ground suspicious yeah pangborn is just like whatever some guy it's vandalism what are you calling me about so i also goes to investigate the homer murder yeah i want to say about this gravedigger uh he's got maybe one of my favorite imdb credits i've ever seen for this movie actually the actor's name is royal dano amazing name and the character he's playing is digger holt so royal daniel was digger holt i mean that there's just almost That's no better good. credit in movie history oh yeah royal daniel i think that i saw I... this was his last role 
Now that I'm thinking about it, okay, he was in Spaced Invaders. Oh, I've not seen Spaced Invaders. Oh. It is uh, a real weird movie from uh, 1990. It also looks like he's in Twin Peaks as Judge Clinton Sternwood. Oh, shit. I missed that. Whoa. Yeah. And Killer Clowns He's also Grant. Yeah, Killer Clowns. Killer Clowns is the one I clocked. Yeah. House 2, the second story. Oh, wait. Ghoulies 2, directed by John Carl Beekler, the director of Troll. Wow, interesting. Okay. (laughs) Wow. Uh, this is June, Greg, not May. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, so at this point, Pangborn and a couple troopers come to question Thad, and his alibi was that he was in New York doing um, the publicity tour about killing off George Stark. Uh, but it's weird because they have fingerprints in blood, the Homer's blood, that points to Thad, and uh, he's like, "Well, maybe it was Fred Clausen." You guys should go try to find him. He lives somewhere in New York. And uh, when they go and try to find him, it turns out he's already dead. And that there is a message on the wall printed in his own blood that says, The sparrows are flying again. Yeah, this is the insinuation that works. Because you just see a silhouette of a man with his own dick in his mouth. (laughs) Yes. Uh pretty great this i really like yeah and it was at this point that thad was doing some writing and he had just written on the paper the sparrows are flying again weird coincidence totally uh and this is when pangborn shows up with beer he's like you know let's just have a let's have a cold one and talk about it that was weird. and thad doesn't take one but liz does and does not open it but uh, they they talk about how Clawson uh, died, like the joke that he had made. And then later, he has a big uh, thing about phantom writing. Do you guys know about this, where you just kind of move your pencil, and then eventually you start making words and sentences and coherent? And it's it's a form of the um, uh, what is it called, like conscious stream of consciousness yeah but it's supposed to it's supposed to be more like stream of unconsciousness i think it's it's similar to what people sometimes do when like i've seen this in a couple movies like in evil dead when cheryl's like drawing the Mm -hmm. book kind of it's like a weird thing but you happen in seances people will get like possessed and then like write out messages yeah uh and so more people start dying we have the female agent that worked for thad uh she gets attacked in her apartment there was a really weird shot where there was a close-up of the Cats Broadway yeah. musical poster. <laughs> it's and really they, strange. They really needed to cut that sooner. It just it lingers on Cats way too long. She makes a phone call, leaves it to Thad's machine. Uh, we eventually see Stark, who is the dark Thad, has a, like... He's more of a greaser. Yeah, he has like a real Elvis feel, and then they play Elvis. Yes, they're constantly. They do play a lot of Elvis. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that again, just a real Stephen King move. All the classic, like you know, fifties music references, the greaser aspect of it, the car he drives, the specific car he drives. This feels very Stephen King. On the back of his car, it says Oldsmobile Toronado. 
yes, that says high toned son of a bitch on the back, which that is the like Stephen King epitaph thing. I was like, that's dumb. Like, yeah. who drives around with that on the back? Nobody, you've never, you'll never see that in real life. I bet, I bet he was real proud of that. Oh point yeah, too. I was like, oh, this is this is what makes the character that little detail. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, he also yeah. George Romero holds off on showing his face for so long to like maintain the mystery of like who it is until that scene it, where he's attacking it does not do it is yeah. yeah whatever you hear his voice like you know who it is even with the it's the, pretty the, obvious right even <laughs> yeah even with the bad southern accent like you know what's going on uh and so yeah he cuts her throat eventually we're talking to pangborn and that is like well you gotta protect anyone that kind of was in on the um the fooling that thad beaumont was not george stark tells him to go protect rick who was his other agent, and then the writer of the magazine article. Uh, he gives a description of Stark, and it's basically like, it's me, but not me. And he drives a black tornado. And we have the writer coming back to his apartment, upset that the lights are out. It's a very... Yeah. Uh, this, is, this is the scene that I'm like, what the hell were you on, George Romero? Are you huffing your own farts are you just so high on your own self that you think whatever i do is good because it's bad oh okay i i i I actually really disagree i love the way this scene is shot and i think there's actually a moment in this that i there's two moments in this scene where i was like hey maybe we're finally getting somewhere i feel like so much of this movie is just a back and forth between michael rooker and thad of like you did it. No, it was a twin. I don't believe you. And then just it's just that over and over for so long. Uh, this scene, it's though. It's more of this is like, it's not like Pangborn is saying you did it. He's just like, What's going all the on? evidence yeah. points to you. Exactly. And yeah. I, I want to believe it's not, but I've seen weird things. Yeah. And if you, if you guys, I've heard about weird things. If you guys read The Dead Zone, The Dead Zone book is a little bit like that, where it's constantly just like, the main character trying to explain his like visions and people being like, nope, uh, don't believe you, but something weird is going on here. So I'm going to kind of half believe you and just repeat that for the entire book, basically. But, <laughs> but this scene though, the the red and the blue lights, the way that they're flashing, I like the lights that. are out. Love that look. It's very Suspiria. The look, it looks good. Yeah. And um, then, but the, the way that he is trying to get to his apartment, like he opens the stairwell oh, door. He is a fucking and goofball. Tries, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, he tries to make it back to his apartment by the time the door is closed, drops his keys, starts getting attacked. But the attack, it really sucks. I like it. It is very bad. I think it's cool. I like the moment where the, the neighbor comes out because he's in the middle of a fucking apartment building and. The guy says, what's going on out here? He says, murder, you want some. That's a good line. And I love that he gets his okay. fucking stupid little ponytail ripped off. Like they, Yeah, I, I they, mean, that is fun. They know the audience hates that ponytail. So, like, we're giving you what you want, you know? I don't know. I This scene to me is really good. I Those little moments of tension, like, it's stupid him dropping the keys and all this stuff, too. But, like, I don't know. To me, it felt like a classic. We're building some a little bit of suspense here for what we know is going to happen, you know? It's two hours, but it doesn't need to be that long. Yeah. That's, that's that That scene, though, can remain. The rest of it, yeah, it is way too long. It is such a long movie. Uh, we have Thad yelling with Pangborn about how it's Stark come to life. 
you know, of course, what what does he want? He wants what you or I would want in this situation. Not to be dead anymore. <laughs> like to live. Yeah, whatever he says. Yes. Yeah, it's 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 like he's so obviously acting. Yeah. In that scene, it is just really hard to get around. Whenever he gets much, whenever yeah. he like gets angry and then goes off, you're like, "Come on, man. Like we can we we when know he, what you're yeah, doing." Yeah, when here. he's amped up. Yeah. So, uh, oh, Stark also called and threatened Rick, the the male agent, saying, oh, I killed your ex-wife, and coming for you next, buddy. And Rick gets, like, two NYPD officers. Probably, I was going to say the worst NYPD officers, but they actually might be the best NYPD officers. <laughs> and that's the sad fact about it. They go in to check his apartment and there were already supposed to be two communications officers i'm not really sure what that is it seemed like a a a tech intern like the people that do the phone tapping later i think have the communications right badge as well but the nypd officers they walk into the living room look around and go yep nobody's here and they just walk out (laughs) job well done yeah yeah and then uh, Rick eventually gets killed. The two communications officers are already dead in the bathtub. And uh, Stark kills him and then leaves through one of those window washing up and down machines. Oh, there actually is a fun... They established earlier. I like that fun moment where it's like he's on the phone being like, oh, he could be coming for you. And then like, you see the window washer descending in the background. And you're like, oh, oh, he's writing that thing. And it's just a window washer. Uh, I think that's a fun little fake out. There are just these little touches here and there to this movie that like make it kind of fun to watch at points. And then it just gets back into the same bullshit, you know? Yeah. The Stark and Thad calls. Uh, Stark is saying, oh, I'm done. I killed everybody. I'm just going to go and leave now. That doesn't really believe him. Ask about if he's hearing the sparrows. And Stark's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, we have another scene with Pangborn being like, uh, Thad being like, I didn't do it. And Pangborn being like, I can't prove that. Yeah. And then, you know, we just leave. Poor. It's like the fifth time that scene happens. Poor Michael Rooker, man. He gets saddled with a really uninteresting character. <laughs> I was thinking that, and and he's also he's so good at playing a bad guy. Like, I think he's he's been bad in everything else I've ever seen him in. Yes, and then in this one, he's just kind of like a boring cop that's maybe not that great at his job. Yeah, if it was Michael Rooker playing the writer, if he was being like the nice family man, and then that like, would, the evil half, that would be much better. I I would and then yeah would love that. We take Ed Harris as alan pangborg from needful things and put him in this movie so then we also we have a cinematic universe we'll love it what are we gonna do with young timothy hutton <laughs> uh he can get murdered you know somewhere in this movie he could be one of the dead cops i don't know <laughs> no i i feel like we're being harsh on him i think he has his moments of this movie that are not bad um i do think he's kind of fun he's evil thad like he's not great but like there's some fun there the accent is crazy, but it's very funny at times. Uh, that moment when he's on the phone with him being like, I will hear the birds coming. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about, man. <laughs> like That to me was <laughs> pretty funny. <laughs> 
right after the scene, <laughs> Thad goes to a convenience store and then gets a call from Stark, which is really, it keeps happening. It's just like <laughs> in a random place. Yeah. And then a phone call like, oh, uh, it's for you. Uh, I but just, the convenience store just is like the how stupid one. this movie is. <laughs> it's really it's silly. Really stupid. He's got an evil twin I mean, that talks like Elvis. That. Like, yeah, then, and then he doesn't. He's like, he doesn't. He doesn't know about the birds. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hear the birds coming. What? Like, I don't know. That's serious. <laughs> yeah. They use like almost five thousand birds for this movie. <laughs> it's so crazy. Talking birds. Well, oh, I mean, man. like the end is basically <sighs> Birdville. So it, it is like the birds too. Two thousand yeah. finches were yeah. used just for that ending scene alone. Like, yeah. you could have just used uh, CGI for that and not made all those birds. <laughs> uh, in the convenience store, Stark is telling him, "You need to start writing again. You need to start a new book." And he's kind of like, eh, "I don't want to." Pangborn comes home and he almost shoots his wife, which is pretty <laughs> crazy. Because uh, he got a he got a, a answering machine call from Stark. And a scene earlier, Thad was telling him, like, you need to stop looking at me and start looking behind your back. Because that's where it's going to be coming from. Yeah. It, uh, it's, so for in Needful Things, you know, a couple years later, his wife and child are dead. And I'm pretty sure it's like a uh, car accident, quote unquote. He probably mm. just shot his wife and child. And Seems like it. Made it look like an accident. Yeah, you know, would not be... Uh atypical police officer behavior i guess right so <laughs> it kind of tracks <laughs> how do you how do you make shooting people to death look like a car accident he is the sheriff oh. i mean well so you shoot them in the head you push the car off the cliff it explodes and, then and you just you fill like, out you fill out all the paperwork yes yes case closed fellas as you wipe your hands <laughs> That's why people don't trust police officers nowadays. I'm just That's realizing, too, why. this whole thing with, like, this cop character, Sheriff in Castle Rock, that appears in two different kings. This also happens in Cujo and the Dark Half. There's a character that is the same person in those two movies, played by different actors as well. He's played by, fuck, what's his name? Uh, Tom Skerritt in Dead Zone. And then that same okay. character is in Cujo as a, with another actor. Someone less recognizable. But this is weird that this has happened between four Stephen King movies. That happens. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's different levels of the tower. You never know. Oh, that's which, true. It's a good Which point. level you of the know, tower yeah. you're on. Yes, cause a wheel, of course, yeah. Yes. Uh, so, Thad goes to work. He also has a police escort, which he has to ditch in a little bit. But he uh, he's starting to try to write. Uh, we In earlier in the movie, they talk about George Stark always uses a pencil. So he's scribbling on the paper and has another wild trance that he goes into. And he is starting to communicate with Stark. And he's trying to ask, like, why why do we need to write a new book? And this is when it turns out that we find out that Stark is falling apart. That if he is not writing, if he is not being used for a reason, he is just going to start deteriorating. He starts looking real bad real fast. Yeah. It does. It happens real quick. Um, Yeah. The makeup is actually really good. Yeah. Parts of it. I thought it was funny. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Right. It is more comedic at times when it's supposed to be menacing, which is not, you know, 
But his skin is just falling off of his face. Yeah. So this scene ends with the conversation finishing by Stark grabbing the pencil and, like, stabbing the hand, which Thad ends up doing himself. And then we cut to Stark in his hotel room, being like, ah, take it like a man. And pulls the pencil out. Uh, He's also drinking George Dickel, which is a uh, classic Tennessee whiskey. Oh. It is about five steps below Jack Daniels. (laughs) But he was drinking the good kind, which is the black label. If you ever come across George Dickel, red or green, that that shit you can like degrease an engine with. It is real <laughs> harsh on your stomach. I'll tell good you that much. Good to know. Yeah. Good to get some good advice on Tennessee whiskey from a real Tennessean. You know, I appreciate that. Yeah. Fun fact, non-alcohol related, but Thad is supposed to be right-handed, and then George Stark is left-handed, and uh, apparently that's pretty common not super common but like 21 percent of um twins will have uh like that happen where one mm. twin is left-handed one t- one twin is right-handed and apparently uh left-handedness is more common among groups of twins than any other groups of relatives that is weird that is kind of genuinely creepy honestly that's very strange I never noticed, though. They don't really call attention to the fact that he's left-handed, you know? like Yeah, I didn't that, pick that up. Yeah. He, kinda, he, does his, like, he does his, like, weird writing with his with the pencil writing with yeah. his left hand, I think. Uh, going into it, so there were parts that earlier in the movie they were talking about how, or Liz was, was saying how Thad changes when he writes the George Stark books. That, uh, he gave up drinking, but George still drinks. So, and there's a whole whole exchange where Timothy Hutton says, "I am not an alcoholic," which I can just imagine Stephen King, drunk as a skunk, writing that down. No, I am not an alcoholic. It is having, just for writing, having uh, having beer for breakfast on the set of Maximum Overdrive. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> been like I can, I can quit yeah. anytime I want. No problem. Yeah. Oh. I also forgot too. It just, we didn't talk about it much, but this is the second collaboration between Romero and King, right? Where King provides source material for Romero because he directed Creep Show. Uh, George Romero did, which uh, ah yeah, and then he actually has an acting cameo in Night Riders. I swear I'll stop mentioning that movie. Yeah. but uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Stephen King is in that movie briefly in a really funny part. So we also meet uh, an old woman, Reggie, who is a friend with him, a fellow teacher. And they have a quick conversation, but he ends up taking her car to evade the police uh, escort. And then he goes and drives to Bengal uh, to go see his doctor. Actually, hold on. Let's get into this real quick. Timothy Hutton is supposed to be born and raised in Maine and has zero accent. Yeah. Yeah. Homer Ganesh is the only one with like a Maine accent the only character because he's gonna do it up brown for you <laughs> exactly you never know yes. some people are raised on television there, i oh, mean there's okay. a lot of Boom. people who i don't know i don't i don't i have the least regional accent in my family i've also lived all over the world but i don't people are surprised when they find out where i'm from sometimes because i don't sound like that but. 
Kills a bit like Christopher Lambert from uh, from Highlander, you know, has lived all over yeah. the world, so, yeah. <laughs> I usually need a couple shots of George Dickel for it to start coming out of me, mm-hmm. so. Are you saying I... George Dickel? D-I-C-K-L-E. George Dickel. Huh. D-I-C-K-E-L. E-L? Okay. Okay. I-, I just put a connection together, too, when you started talking about Reggie, his professor, who, if there's any character that can be cut out of this movie, it's her. Do not do not know what she adds to the story whatsoever, really. Um, well, to get to Reggie, it real quick, she... What's Reggie short for? Regina, Regina, probably. Oh, yeah. I just kept thinking that Reginald, and I was like, I've never known <laughs> a woman to be named Reginald before. But she's the one that says, that says the titular line, That's dark right. half. And then oh, yeah. tells us that the... Sp- Sparrows are actually psychopomps, which yes. transport spirits to the after something like that. I don't know. It, the, a lot she of doesn't fully know either. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Not a good sign. Even the character is supposed to explain it as like, I don't know. Like, Just take know. my yeah. car. But I had a relationship. So she's played by Julie Harris. Is that the actress's name? I think, right? Um Yes who I think is probably best known for starring in the original Haunting, uh, the original version of the 1999 movie we covered. Oh. But that oh, yeah, movie, The Haunting, Elmore. is also... Yeah, so that that she plays... Uh, that that series was then adapted in The Haunting of Hill House with Timothy Hutton. Just yep. another weird roundabout Bolter connection. Call. Yeah. <laughs> Insane. What the hell is happening here? It's... Gemini June is it, the stars I, have a I guess so. Yeah, this is this is nuts. Uh, so Thad is at the doctor, and that's when he's learning about the twin that he had in the womb that his parents also uh, buried the remains, which is kind of weird. And then the the sparrow incident, which there was even like a news uh, paper clipping, and the doctor notices this his hand wound is like, oh, let me put a a proper dressing on that goes into the other room. And then that's when Stark just kind of like pops in. Hey, remember me cuts his throat. All the while, Timothy Hutton's just like, I'm reading the newspaper. (laughs) And okay. There is a really bad shot at this point. So we've seen Stark is kind of like coming apart. His, his lip. Yeah. The hand thing, his lip is, uh, or upper cheek is kind of peeling away. And so there is a really lingering shot of him in the back supply area of the doctor's office where then he grabs the bandages. So we know in like the next scene we see him why he has bandages wrapped around his head. Yeah. Because it's weird. Is sliding it's rough. Off. Yeah. Uh, that's when... So... And obviously, Timothy Hutton finally sees that the doctor is dead and instead of going out the back door that stark also went through uh he goes through again the waiting room and then tells the nurse uh uh call an ambulance and then runs away (laughs) doesn't look guilty at all yeah the least suspicious thing you could do when you are a murder suspect uh and also like touching a bunch of shit and getting blood all over yourself and yeah. I mean, it's already Don't his own him. fingerprints, so he's kind of shit out of luck on that side of things, you know. Yeah, but he didn't have blood on himself because if if 
he That's had true. done that, he would be covered in blood. If they would have just, but I guess he had to get home to save his twins. Yeah. Well, uh, first off, he goes to talk to Reggie, and then that's when we get the dark half, the um, the psychopomp sparrows. Uh, he also gets a call, and it's Stark saying, "Oh, I've got what you want. You have to come and you know meet me. Find out that he is at the lake house and has Liz and the twins captured. So he drives over there." He also, Reggie says something like, I hope to see you on Monday. Wear a red carnation if it's really you. All that shit could have been cut out. Like, not yep. necessary at all. We're definitely going to notice if it's not him. Because if some, like, Elvis-looking <laughs> dude with his face sliding off shows up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Stark has come to the conclusion that there can only be one of them at the end. Uh, so when Thad gets there... Stark has both of the little kids in his arm, and it is the most 90s, like, baby dress. They are both in jean jackets, wearing matching red and blue Nike tennis shoes. Yeah. And they're just, like, little blonde baby. Like, they're pretty cute, but there's really nothing there. Very 90s babies in general, honestly. Like, there's, there's just, like, a something about them. You know what I mean? They're shaped with their heads. I don't know. It's no Bart Harley Jarvis. <laughs> I, oh my god, Kill, I could not stop thinking about Bart Harley Jarvis throughout this entire thing. Uh. <laughs> uh, me too. <laughs> I was just waiting to be able to say it. <laughs> I'm glad you did. So, that is like, hey, can I get one, can I get my kids? And he goes, well, you can have one of them. And then Stark just holds a gun to the other baby. <laughs> so funny. This is hilarious. The the baby antics at the end, like, these are generally very funny. Yeah. But was that the intention of the movie? I mean, it seems I, it's, oh, a hor- it's a horror movie. Yes, but no, the baby stuff, there's no way it's not meant to be funny. When the baby is, like, crawling towards the razor, I'd, like, all happily been, like, gonna play with it and had to, like, scramble to get it away, like... Yeah, it has to be a joke. It is very well because he was going to turn into Stark if he. I don't think anybody. I don't think most people find dead and murdering babies funny, Greg. No, but like, there's something about the way it's presented where it's like I don't know. Just the fact that the babies never cry, the fact that they're like smiling and happy throughout this entire thing, like something about it feels like it's meant to be kind of funny. I don't know how much the whole. Maybe he's supposed to seem like a, a great parent. Yeah, like he's so he's a good guy. He's a good parent. See how well adjusted his babies are. He because loves they his don't toys. Cry. Yes. Uh, so they end up going to the office upstairs, and Thad starts writing. So they're smoking and drinking together. As Stark starts writing himself, Thad starts taking on the uh, rotting face thing. He gets like a bruise on the lip or in the in the jaw. Uh, he starts bleeding uh, motor oil from the top of his skull, is what it looked like. Yeah, the the quote-unquote blood looked kind of weird. That was the grossest part yeah. to me. Is this is weird shit leaking out of him? So it's uh, Stark is taking his essence and becoming a real person. And uh, the fight happens. Uh, we get two dick kicks, which is impressive. Uh, and then... Thad stabs Stark with a pencil in the neck, 
And then all of a sudden, all the transformations are gone from Thad's face. Uh, wow. Although Stark is not really dead. He pops back up. And that's when all of the sparrows start pecking through the, um, the wall. And so we get a really interesting shot of, you know, light coming through all these really small holes. You know, Stark is just like shooting randomly, doesn't do anything. And all of these birds, uh, you, you said like 20,000 finches. What was it? 2,000 finches? 2,000 in this scene, yes. 2,000. Start tearing him apart down to the skeleton and then take him away into some weird ethereal cloud as uh, Pangborn shows up, frees Liz, and they both go up to see the conclusion. Yeah, and it's like the Langoliers no suddenly with that thing in the sky. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. But there's no capper at this point. We don't have like Pangborn saying, well, I guess you didn't really do it. Or, you know, hugging his wife and child. Like, we, we don't get any real resolution towards the end of it. Credits just roll. Yeah. I will say, that finale with the Finches tearing uh, Stark apart is fucking incredible like those are some truly truly fantastic looking practical gore effects like you see a finch tear his eye out and then like start bursting out of his skull and things like that and then shred him down to a skeleton it almost makes this entire movie completely worth it because it is such a fucking stunner of a special effect at the end i i don't know Two hours versus three minutes. I did say almost. <laughs> but I do think that those those birds tearing a man apart, oh man, absolutely, like, just incredible. Uh, we do get a little bit more to the character later on with uh, Pangborn. I believe it's in Needful Things talking about how... Uh, Liz took the twins and left him eventually, and then he committed suicide. So but... that's the only real no, resolution, what? yeah, that we have is from another novel, and that it did not turn out well for him at what the, all. What the fuck? That's why. Yeah, yeah. I know. Who knows? All right. Sure things. Sure things. Steve. For yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right, Steve. Jesus. Well, uh, do we want to give some final thoughts about this movie? I already know what I think we should rate it out of, but do you guys have any ideas? Sparrows. Dick kicks. Those are pretty good ones. Uh, let me think. Uh, dicks and, severed dicks and mouths? Severed dicks and mouths. Not bad. Uh, I was thinking shots of George Dickel. <laughs> That's but... good. I like shots of George. Yeah, I like it. Okay. Uh, I'm host. I will be going first. This was not a very good movie <laughs> at all to me. I, I did not really enjoy most of it. I think some performances are okay. I think Michael Rooker does fine for what he's given, which is barely anything. Uh, Amy Madigan is like hardly even a character. Yeah. Uh, Timothy Hutton, while I can see him having fun doing the George Stark stuff, it definitely it, it the Thad Beaumont stuff uh, is a hindrance to it. 
it's just getting ramped up and then I'm not really caring about that character. Towards the end, it's like, oh, well, maybe he should have actually died and George Stark, the more interesting person, you know, taking his place. The better writer they establish, so. <laughs> yeah, well, that that is one thing. The, the male agent talks about it and says, I read Thad Beaumont because it's my job. Yeah. I read George Stark because it's fun. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, and, and it's it I'm sure it is how King felt when he lost his pseudonym, when he lost that person that he could be, that Richard Bachman could do anything. It didn't come back to him at all. Uh besides the money part of it. But, you know, when he lost that, I guess, you know, Maybe he didn't need to write this book. Maybe he just wanted to to get it out. And I don't know if it's absolutely a a good enough story to warrant. I have the book. It's like 500 pages. Oh, it is way too big for like, of course it is. what this is. But, you know, I, that makes me think that Romero adapted all of it. Yeah, There's not really a scene or a character out. If this movie is two hours, that's because it, it took two hours to adapt faithfully this novel uh i'm going low i'm saying two out of five shots of george dickel cool yeah i I can go next uh i i pretty much agree with you on just about everything um performance wise i think that like rooker is doing something interesting the most fun character homer ganache does not last long enough uh and uh but he does do it up brown for us he does do it up brown for us absolutely uh i think that timothy hutton becomes both like a hindrance and like an asset for this movie uh in an interesting weird evil you know twin way where george stark is a more fun character and thad beaumont is kind of boring as shit like i just you just can't bring yourself to care about him really but when he's like talking like an evil elvis like eh, that's pretty fun you know it's not great but it's like silly and weird um he's got some fun line deliveries but like uh yeah I do think where this movie starts to excel is like, the, I think all the most of the effects are pretty awesome. Like I, I've talked about, obviously that final scene of a man getting shredded by birds, but like there's some good gore early on too. And I think that the scene where like, um, uh, when George is attacking the female agent, that's a fairly harrowing scene. The way he like hurts her and then is like torturing her to like get her to call him and everything like it's pretty intense like that stuff actually really worked for me um in spite of but then the reveal kind of yes ruins i was gonna say to and me. then you have the silly accent and the reveal like it, it's yeah there's little things there's things that step on what does work about this movie but i think it's kind of cool though so george romero and stephen king were like good friends uh we talked about in our christine episode that christine is named after christine romero george's wife um and I think that, like, as this is a very personal story for Stephen King, clearly. But I can kind of see it as, like, if you really want to, like, look at it this way, maybe, like, a personal story for George Romero, too. This idea of there's this artist who's concerned that, like, oh, people only like me when I'm being trashy and violent and, like, you know, depraved. Like, people only like Romero zombie stuff. And he has this whole other body of work that people tend to kind of ignore or just write off completely. And so I can almost see some personal story, you know, personal aspects from Romero in here of like struggling with that of like, do I just keep giving in to this like 
like the dark half of myself is that what i have to do and eventually romero does he goes back to making zombie movies after a long period of not doing them so uh i think there's interesting things to think about in this as terms of like being an artist and it's like am i just gonna get like pigeonholed into one role or can i break out of that and like you know do i have to suffer for my art like does stephen king have to be a drunk in order to be a prolific writer uh so i think it's talking about interesting things it's just not it's too long you could easily cut out so much of this movie and uh you know kind of like my review right now it's, it's just dragging on so <laughs> uh yeah so well, i'm with I... you murph i'm going a little higher because that bird scene though i'm going like 2.8 uh shots of dickle i think i think you're you're really right on that i think there are a lot of interesting things to talk about it just bounces off them so yeah. so quickly and it's like we don't even really get to a meaty discussion or a theory or a reason it's just like eh, and then like this topic and then they just move away for action or horror and it doesn't it doesn't connect as well yeah yeah but the bones are there the bones are there for something really cool it just doesn't quite do it so and then two... they get carried away by all the sparrows yeah so 2.8 shots of George Diggle for me. I agree with both of you guys. There's some good stuff. Uh, it's too long. Two hours is unnecessary. There's a lot of meandering that doesn't need to, to happen. I, I do like that all of the shooting locations are around Romero's house in Pittsburgh. <laughs> like they're all oh yeah intentionally very close to where he lived. Yes. And there was also uh, an adventure game that came out in 1992, also called The Dark <laughs> Half, that's based on this movie. Um, and it's now a collector's item because it also did not do well, which I think is also funny. Would love to play that. Um, see if you can find it, get somebody to put it on, on the internet or some shit. I don't know. So I, I'm also going with two, two dick goals. What is it? Perfect. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Two dick goals. Um, it, there's just a lot. I think Timothy Hutton is just kind of cute. He has pretty eyes. He has really nice hair. Um, <laughs> but I don't know if he's the best for this role. I'm end end of review. Thank you. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, well, Kill, do you want to let us know what we're going to be watching next week? Certainly. So. Next week, I have chosen a little something. Um, I've gone more modern again. This one, this movie is called The One I Love from 2014. Uh, Mark Duplass and Elizabeth Moss are in it. Now, I know I have seen this, and I believe I remember the ending, but not much else. Good. Interesting. So I'm, I'm excited to rewatch, yeah. And I've never heard of this, so I am excited to discover a new movie. Well, I hope you guys enjoy it. I, I'm sure it can't be as bad as the dark half. It's not. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. You can always reach us email weeklypodcastmassacre at gmail.com. Uh, we have both Twitter and Instagram at weeklymassacre. Hit us up. Let us know if you absorbed your twin in the womb. Um, if you ever did any uh, fake funerals, if you have a pseudonym that you've had to viciously murder, 
uh, using sparrows in a supernatural aspect. You know, or... Jim Jones used to have little funerals when he was young. He was like a weird wow. ass kid. <laughs> yeah, and he would have he would like those hmm. funerals. Who who would have thought he would have been a weird kid? You know. <laughs> yeah. And I was gonna say, or if you know a, a way into Stephen King, and we could talk to him about. Alan Pangborn, because that's what I want to talk about. Totally. The Alan Pangborn, Ed Harris universe. I've that been we to Bangor. got to see. Oh, wow. Oh. That's my connection. And that's the end of the story. That's yep. it. Before I've been we there wrap up. House. That's it. <laughs> Before we fully wrap up, can I ask just a real quick question? What the fuck is George? Is he the fetus that was cut out that is now grown into a person, or did he just like pop into existence? Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't think he was cut out because they kind of. Well, he like dug himself. I don't know. I think yeah, he so was then what's uh, a... supposed to be like a manifestation, and then the guts were there. Right. Some sort of yeah. like magic happened, and yeah. So then, what's Once the deal with the tumor? Down. It's really strange. Yeah, man. This is again. I, I know we're done, but this <laughs> it started out like malignant. I was excited for this thing when it began. I was like, "Oh, Stephen King yeah. Romero's malignant. Like this is gonna be cool." But no. Anyway, uh, yeah, we can review us. <laughs> yeah. Well, until next week, we're gonna do it up brown for you. I just had to, <laughs> I had to say it one more time. I had to get it in there. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Ugh. <laughs> Thanks for Bye, listening. everybody. Bye. <laughs>